Maniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and ooh, it's been a long day. I've been up for 21 hours as of right now, because I get up this morning, I worked a full day shift, 12 hours, or I guess technically 11 and a half hours, because my relief was kind enough to come in a little bit early, about half an hour early, and let me go because I was driving. You have to excuse me. I have to hydrate. I will be doing it a few times during this introduction. I was driving directly from work to the Fox Theater, the fabulous Fox downtown, uh, which I don't work anywhere near the fabulous Fox downtown. When I looked it up on Google Maps, my approximate drive time, if I left at 5 p.m., was one hour and six minutes to two hours. Obviously, it's variable because of Atlanta traffic, but whatever the case, it was going to be a nightmare to get down there. Uh, one of the recommendations was I drive to a MARTA station, and then I take MARTA uh, the rest of the way down there, but the thought of leaving the venue after the show, getting on a train, going back to a MARTA station, getting in my car, then driving home, as opposed to just walking outside and driving home, uh, I, I chose to drive all the way down there. And it was not bad because, like I said, I had great relief that came in half an hour early for me. I got to leave early. Uh, so leaving the parking lot at work at like 4.38, 4.40 arrived at the in the vicinity of the fox at uh 545ish so just over an hour to get down there pretty incredible but i i could i could literally see the traffic forming as i was driving down 400 to get downtown so uh, I, I did very well. I ate at a place called Bear Burger that was fantastic. That's B-A-R-E Burger, not to be confused with our pal Bear from Bean and Bear. Uh, it's it's across the street from the Fox. It's very, very good. I highly recommend it. The service was incredible. The food was really good. Uh, and they had a plum beer that I thoroughly enjoyed. But the show that I was going to see was Nine Inch Nails, who remain one of the best live bands I've ever seen. And have the most intensive production I've ever seen for a live rock band. And opening for them were a a sort of, not techno, that's not the right word, but like programmed music group called Tobacco that was very good. And then the Jesus and Mary Chain, who I've seen before, but could not differentiate in any significant way from Jesus Lizard, uh, Dinosaur Jr., or any other sort of 90s-type alterna-rock acts that, in my head, this is just to me, are somewhat generic in a 90s alternative way. Now, I have been corrected by our pal Noah Holt, who was on an older episode of the Needless Things podcast that you can find uh, if you go to Podbean and look for Needless Things podcast. Uh, Noah pointed out that the Jesus and Mary Chain's heyday 
1984 to 1989, and that they were sort of dwindling in the 90s. But the 90s is when I saw them because they were on the Lollapalooza, on one of the Lollapalooza tours, and I saw them on some other thing too. It might have been like 99X's Big Day Out. I'm not sure. I had seen them before. I didn't really know who they were though. And then seeing them tonight. Well, well, for let's let's go back to the show because I know you guys look. I understand you're here for the Nature Boy Ric Flair. That's fine. We're going to get to Nature Boy Ric Flair. Just give me a few minutes to get this out of my system, this exciting event that I've just experienced. Uh, and, and also I need to get out of my system that you need to go to themysterymenofsurf.com, check out their new album, Firewalkers. It's freaking amazing. Uh, those are the gentlemen that provide the interstitial music for the show that you've been listening to for five years now. I think five years. Woof. Uh, but anyway, mysterymenofsurf.com. They're lovely. They're awesome. Go check them out. Uh, and also, next week, Halloween starts. It's great. It's good. We're going to have spooky fun. So back to my story. Uh, got down to the venue, ate my meal, went into the Fox. No problem at all. I, I really like the Fox as a venue in general. Uh, it's classy. It's nice. Everybody there is very professional. I've, I haven't in the, the two times I've been there this year, everything's just been very easy, very easy to get around, not overly crowded. It's, it's a good venue. It sounds good. It looks good. It's nice to be in for the most part, and I'll get to that. Uh, so I get into the Fox, no problem at all. I go and buy, apparently this is a new thing that bands do. And, and look, I'm going to keep this brief. I could go on for an hour just about this show, but I'm not going to because I understand you're here for, woo, Ric Flair. And that's fine. Uh, apparently, the cool new thing for bands to do is release date-specific items. Uh, Mastodon had shirts for their last show every time i've seen them they've had event specific posters which i guess is nothing new that's that's gone on for a while but i guess the shirts are kind of a new thing maybe so i i look at the nine inch nails merch because i have never owned now i take that back i had a downward spiral shirt that i got free when i worked at hot topic but i never really liked it that much because i don't care for that album cover and that's all it was but anyway uh i, I wanted some nine inch nails stuff i figured it was going to be ridiculously expensive it wasn't uh, by any stretch, it, it was very reasonable live show merch prices. Uh, so they had an exclusive shirt for November 27th in Atlanta, Georgia, with Trent Reznor's hand in, in the pointer state pointing up. Very close up of that. Not the best design, but whatever. And then on the back, the Nine Inch Nails logo with November 27th, 2018, Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm a sucker for exclusive items, and it doesn't get a whole lot more exclusive than you have to be at the show to buy the shirt. And they also had an event poster that's badass. I don't know who did the art. I'm going to find out. But it's this giant, like, really menacing, haunted house-looking, mostly black and, like, sepia tone print. And it's a very, very nice print with like audio components on the front I, I i'll put up a picture on my instagram you can follow me as phantom troublemaker on instagram uh or dave west on facebook but it's this beautiful print 
and they were both very reasonably priced. And then they also had enamel pens, super reasonably priced, like cheaper than most enamel pens that I buy. So I bought a bunch of stuff. They had cardboard tubes there to put it all in. So I've got a cardboard tube to protect my new merch. I go to my seat. I sit down next to this guy who I'm going to call Nails because he's seen Nine Inch Nails 24 times, which is 20, 20 times more than I have now seen them. And refers to them only as nails. He's on a last name basis with an entire band. Uh, he just calls them nails every time he refers to them, and he refers to them often. But he's a very, very nice guy, really sweet guy. He's drunk as shit. He smells terrible. Smells like alcohol. Yeah, alcohol smell terrible. Not like body odor or anything like that. Thank goodness. Uh, I didn't deal with any of that tonight. But he reeks of booze. Uh, but very talky, very friendly, uh, nice guy. Uh, gave me the inside scoop on a couple of things I actually didn't know, so that was neat. Uh, and everybody, in, actually, everybody in our section was cool. I didn't. Nobody made me angry. Uh, there was a little Inuit girl in front of me that was standing on her chair the whole time. But even standing in her chair, she only came up to like my shoulder. So she wasn't obstructing my view or anything. The only problem was she kept leaning back. I, I still can't figure out how she was leaning so far back without falling back into our aisle. But she had a different interpretive dance for every song Nine Inch Nails performed. It was incredible. It's great. And and again, if you're on my Instagram, it's in my stories right now. Uh, it, it may be gone by the time you listen to this. And I apologize for that. But you know what? It was the magic of the moment. If you weren't there... Uh, you don't get to see the amazing interpretive Inuit girl. Uh, so, the problem I had with the Fox this time, I had a pretty good seat. Uh, it was to the right. I thought I was more in the center. I guess I wasn't. But underneath my seat, there's this giant metal thing that looks like a ring bell from like ringside at a wrestling match. Uh, it's a good... 16 inches in diameter it takes up the entire space under the seat and this is a problem because everybody at the nine inch nail show is a dum-dum because we have paid to go to this show we paid for a seat if everybody sits the fuck down we can all see and enjoy the show from the comfort of a seat instead all of these dum-dums have to stand up for some reason to watch the show the whole freaking time. So, everybody around me who paid the same amount of money I did for their seat has all this space when the seat folds up to stand in between the armrests. I do not have this space because I have this giant fucking cylinder disc thing under my seat. And the bean... Be, what do I want to call them? Beans now. Nails told me it's some kind of heating unit because the fox was built 8,000 years ago or whatever so they've got all these primitive ways to to keep it warm or cool or whatever and fortunately it was not on I would have had to leave uh, but it is some kind of, uh, according to Nails who seems very knowledgeable I don't doubt this guy uh, it's some kind of heating unit so I have to stand awkwardly and they played um, I would say they played over two hours or at least two hours. It was a solid show. So I had to stand awkwardly, almost kind of pigeon-toed around this thing with my bad back uh, for the whole show. I was not pleased about that. I even considered 
going to management and being like, look, I don't think it's right that I paid the same amount of money for this crap spot that everybody else around me paid and they got to be comfortable and stand up and enjoy the show and I had to stand on top of your fucking bell pot heater primitive ass Victorian bullshit but I didn't because I was just once once uh, once he started playing Hurt it was time to go because I, I've seen that live as many times as I need to and I know that's the last song he plays every time so I was like you know what I'm going to get in the car and get the fuck out of here but the rest of the set, well, first of all, let me go back to Tobacco. Tobacco was very cool, very interesting. I recommend you check them out if you're into sort of mixed electronic music type stuff. Sort of, not quite avant-garde, but interesting to listen to. I'll, I'll check them out. Uh, and then Jesus and Mary Chain, very, very good at what they do. Uh, like I said, our pal Noah Holt is, is a huge fan. He said they're his favorite band. Uh, they're, they're great. They're great live. Uh, I I did not have a problem watching them as an opening band. Uh, I don't I I don't know that they even played for forty five minutes. I I think I'm not sure Tobacco even played for thirty minutes. Uh, J- Jesus Mary Chain maybe forty five minutes, but really tight set, really good. They played like two songs that I knew. There's they 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 do the I wanna die like Jesus Christ. I wanna die like JFK. They're those guys. You've heard that song. You may not recognize it from my poor rendition of it, but you've heard that song if you were alive in the 90s. And I don't know, it's apparently it's not a 90s song, I guess, according to Noah. But uh, that that's they're good. They're good. They're really, really good live. I don't want their albums, and, and if you know, I, I wouldn't make a point of seeing them again, but I would not be upset if they opened for another band that I was going to see. Uh, and then Nine Inch Nails came on absolutely fantastic incredible uh, their lighting the last the best show i've ever seen in my life was nine inch nails when they played with soundgarden a few years ago me and the missus went and saw them and i've never seen anything like it i've talked about it on the show before i'm not going to get into it again here but it was phenomenal mind-blowing entertainment experience uh this t- i did not expect this show to be as good i don't expect any show to ever be as good i i will be shocked if i ever see anything better than that uh, but this show was still amazing uh, and mind-blowing. Every song had a different lighting setup, and I don't mean they flashed different colored lights or different types of pens. They literally moved light rigs around for every song, set up different complicated lighting schemes. It was incredible. It was absolutely amazing. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the set list was great. I'm sure it's up on setlist.fm by now. Uh, and you know, almost two hours after the show ended, and it, I, I had a blast. They don't. Pl- I don't think they play Ring Finger ever, which is my actual favorite song. I put up a video of copy of a copy to saying that was my favorite song, uh, and, and I love it. I love that. I love Only. I love Down in It. Uh, I love Wish. You know, there I, I could list all the Nine Inch Nails songs that I love, and I'm not going to do it because again, you're here for woo Ric Flair. But this show was amazing. I highly recommend if you have the opportunity, you go see Nine Inch Nails. Even if uh, now, if you hate them, obviously don't go see them. But if you have even if you're even like, oh yeah, I remember all those songs from the '90s. Those were pretty good. You should really experience this band live. It's fantastic. I'm on a big time uh, music entertainment energy high right now, as I'm sure you can tell. So I'm going to stop. 
that's enough intro. I'm going to say one more time, go visit themysterymenofsurf.com. Check out their new album, Firewalkers. And now it is time for the Nature Boy, Rick Flair, live from DragonCon 2018. everybody doing this Sunday afternoon? I'm Dave West, the host of the Needless Things podcast, but you're not here to see me, are you? You are here to see in Dragon Con. You're going to have to give it up big time because getting ready to enter this stage is the 16-time world champion WWE Hall of Q&A today, so if you have a question for the Nature Boy, you can line up at this microphone in the center front right here. While you're doing that, I'd like to share a little story about a conversation that I had with Ric Flair 14 years ago. I was at Monday Night Raw in the front row. It's 2004, March 1st, I'll never forget it. And there's a big tag team match between Evolution, Randy Orton and Batista, who at the time were making their way to being some of the biggest superstars in the business, and Shawn Michaels and Chris Benoit. It was an incredible match. The heat was huge. You guys remember how big Evolution was. I mean, they were the unstoppable force at the time. Nobody could get over on them. At the end of the show, poor old Mick Foley comes out. (laughs) Three on one in the ring. Ric Flair. Batista, Randy Orton, picking on poor little old Mick Foley. But Mick Foley calls out his pal, The Rock. Rock comes out, clears the ring, and this gentleman right here gets thrown into the ring barrier right in front of me. Now, I'm a good wrestling fan. It doesn't matter how much I love you. If you're a bad guy, I'm going to boo you. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to say terrible, terrible things to you. And apparently, Ric Flair had heard some of those terrible things. So you got thrown into that barrier. I yelled something not very nice. And you turned around. Your sweat hit me right in the face. And you said, hey, friend. Only you didn't say friend. I'm going to make your wife sandwiches all night long. Only, only you didn't say make your wife sandwiches. And that is one of the greatest wrestling memories I, I have. And thank you for that. 
Italian life, right? <laughs> uh, to, to warm up just a little bit, uh, do you want to spend a few minutes discussing what it's been like uh, watching your little girl become one of the most important superstars in the WWE right now? I knew that she'd be good uh, just based on athletic ability, but she's taken it to a whole different level. And uh, her commitment, uh, commitment to excellence, we used to say that, but the same would apply to her, her commitment to the job and to work and to what she does, um, you know, to maintain that level that you have to work hard to be at in our business. And uh, she's done it all in a short period of time. It'll be, it'll be six years this year. So, you know, um, most of the girls have been at it, you know, the girls that started out of high school, you know, 10, 10 years already. So I'm really proud of her, you know, more than I'll ever know. Probably, um, her skills are second to none, and I just can't say enough good about her without, you know, without bragging too much, but I feel that's a dad's privilege. That's right. In that position, so she's just been fabulous. Couldn't be prouder of her. Awesome. All right, and with that, we will uh, take our first question. What you got, sir? Hey, um, so actually this morning I was watching the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. Yes. Uh, I watched it when it first aired back in November and watched it again today to uh, prepare myself for this. But I was wondering uh, what your general thoughts were on that documentary. And if you were the director, uh, like did you think it was an accurate portrayal of your career overall, your life overall? And if you were the director, uh, would, would there be anything you would have changed about that documentary? Well, um, you know, there was so much footage you have to decide that it's all about editing. Um, they had enough footage to make two of them, and then they may make another one yet, just like two, because that one people enjoyed so much. Um, you know, you leave yourself open to the good and the bad and stuff like that comes along because it's, it, you know, it reveals you. Um, for what you've been, who you are, what you're currently at, what the good times and the bad times in your life, and you never know what someone's going to say. So, um, um, you know, there's a couple people I wish could have been on. They, they never could get hooked up with Steve Austin, which I because Steve was going back and forth between his ranch in San Antonio and L.A., and they couldn't get hooked up with um, Charles Barkley is a good friend of mine, so... Because I think the people outside the sport that comment, like Snoop Dogg and Marty Smith from ESPN, and, you know, uh, they bring as much to the show as, as the components do, as, as the parts brought to you from the wrestlers. So, yeah, I was happy with it, you know. It, it makes you think, you know, by the way, you know, you, you ran your life and what you did right and what was wrong, but I don't know in terms of uh, the 70s and 80s with my schedule, even up in the mid-90s with my schedule, what I could have done differently in terms of uh, 
you know, having time off, it didn't exist. Being home, it didn't exist in the 70s, 80s, for sure. 90s, it started to become, you could get a day off here and there. But in my position, uh, it was tough even to get a day off. In the 90s, that's when I was you know, older, so. If you're on top of this business, you're, you're, you're not only working at the job in terms of wrestling, but they had you doing so much media and PR that you don't get paid for, it's just expected at your level. So and my daughter's experienced that, and now she's been gone 17 days from home. You know, and that, she's been gone longer than that, but it, it's like, you have to figure it out. You know, like, do I want to do this? Because <laughs> as much as you work, you put into the business on the side with appearances and uh, PR and announcing new shows, you know, the grand, when tickets go on sale for SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, they always have a lot of the talent there and they don't get paid for that. That's part of the description of their job. So, you know, I enjoyed it and I loved it. And I, you know, me, I, I had so much fun at night, it wasn't like going to work for me during the day, so. <laughs> and this town was, was, this town treated me good. <laughs> A lot of fun in Atlanta, boy. This town put me in the hospital last year. <laughs> Damn that daytime ranking. <laughs> Why wait for five when you can start at 11 a.m.? <laughs> It's crucial. 
you know, in terms of work ethic and that I was, but in terms of, uh, you know, I, I'm really not anyone to give any advice on marriage, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think the one thing that, that I didn't like about the 30 for 30, since you bring it up, is I spent a lot of time with my, my younger kids, meaning Charlotte and her brother Reed, because every time WCW got mad and fired me, I went home and I just spent time with them. <laughs> and so I was able to participate in their sports and stuff like that. So, um, but as far as being a role model, I, I just think it's important for parents uh, to, to set the example now that they want their children to follow because it's, you can't get away from social media. You can't do something as a father or mother and that is wrong and not, and, and escape the reality of being, you know, uh, talked about or seen or something being made big of it. So, you know, I would have had a very difficult time with social media in the 80s. <laughs> I would have been a hit on TMZ back then. I've been a hit a few times since, but, um, you know, we just innocent having fun, so, you know, never been involved with drugs, never domestic violence or anything, but you just have to, as, as a parent, you have to pretty much walk the line and conduct yourself uh, in a manner that you want your children to, because it's easy with all the outside influences for children to drift off. I mean, I never imagined my son being on drugs. I, you know, I, I you know, like the hunter said, I lied to myself, but I, I couldn't believe it. And I mean, I obviously found out that I was wrong, but when I initially heard that and found out, I, I was just in shock because he worked out so hard and was such a great athlete and put in all that time to be good at what he was doing, but his social habits got the best of him. And so, you know, if I'm gonna blame myself, for being responsible for that. It's in the fact that I couldn't, there's an expression with uh, adults and problematic children where you're supposed to kick them to the curb. Ball heard that expression, right? The kid's having a tough time, he's gotta, you gotta kick him to the curb, he's gotta grow up and learn on himself, learn by himself, and I, I just couldn't do that, I couldn't. I could get mad at him for about five minutes. And then I wanted to know where he was because there were times when he would leave his mom and I couldn't find him for five days. And then we, we tracked him down, you know, the first sign was his phone wouldn't work. Number two, we couldn't find out where he was. I mean, it was the same thing all the time. And uh, the one thing I will say is that if you experience something like we did with Reed as a family, of marriage very rarely, can survive something like that. You know, you lose a child, and uh, you know, it's on your watch, would be that like he was with me, so he died on my watch, so the blame falls on my shoulders, right? Even though he wasn't doing anything, he was with me, so um, I accept the responsibility. I, I, I should have been there with him, but I was with him all day long, except for an hour when he got out. And that was it, so.
It's a lot for parents. You have to put a lot of thought into it. Do you feel like your kids have any tendencies that are uh, abnormal or they have a desire to get high? It all starts with a weed, trust me. You know, and then we'll say, well, it's just weed. Yeah, then it's cocaine. Then it's dying, and then it's ecstasy, then it's Xanax, and then, you know, it's terrible. But you know, they all say the same with it. It's why I can't even fathom, because I've never smoked it in my life. I can't fathom them making marijuana legal. Because it was legal at 18, you know that a 12 year old is going to be smoking it. Christ, I was buying beer when I was 15 years old in a liquor store. So I'll go back 50 years, 55, 54 years, and imagine me buying liquor back then. So you know, the 18 year olds are buying weed. You don't think the 12 year olds are going to get it? And it impairs you. It does. I've read some guys that have been that have smoked a joint now for the match and their balance is off, their judgment is off, their timing's off. It's a whole different thought process when you're high in the weed. And people say, oh, I smoke weed, I don't get high bullshit. I'll say bullshit to that all day long. So you can walk out of here to go roll a joint and you don't move in front of me.
perfect. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so, because we've had so many years wrestling, and I know you know we can answer questions about matches, but what I wanted to know is what uh, what's a what the hell moment that happened in the back room that you, like comes to mind when you think about all these years and the time you spent with the wrestlers back there. Um, in your experience, what's that one moment that comes to mind that's like, what the hell, uh, to something that happened to you or to anybody else while you were in the room? Um, what the hell? You, you, want, you want to know a story where someone got their ass kicked back in the line? <laughs> I guess the best would be, um, this is going back a long time ago, like 
Uh, what's your opinion on what uh, Cody Rhodes and the guys were able to accomplish at all in last night? Well, I just heard about that. It was great. Huh? First of all, I'm a big fan of Cody, so if you don't like Cody Rhodes, you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm a big Hello. fan, yeah. And I, I think it's great. With him, it was, he's always had so much talent and skill. And, uh, you know, I think he worked so hard, at, you know, trying to find that place with the WWE. And I'm sure he'll be back. You know, he may never have to. He's making so much money now, working a lot less. You know what I mean? Not that he's making more than he was there, but he's making a nice living. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, that, well, I can't, we're not comparing them to WWE, but I think it's nice to see an independent motion be run properly where the guys are getting a good payoff. Because the card was loaded, they sold out 10,000 people, which is making a statement. And of course, Conrad, who will be my son-in-law soon, and he has taken that podcast thing. I, I thought for sure podcasts would be burnt out. Uh, I, I, I did mine for about a year and a half. I couldn't stand doing it. It just didn't seem right, you know, and then I wanted to have a couple of drinks, and then you say something, and then you go with it. But um, I'm happy for, for Conrad, but I'm really happy for Cody, and... Uh, I think it's really cool that he's wearing the NWA title, you know, it's, that, that speaks volumes for him and he really loves the business and he really believes that the NWA title was the title and whether people wanted it or not, it was. Yeah. Look, at, look at Luthez, Buddy Rogers, Funks, yeah. no, 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 forget about me, Thez, <laughs> Buddy Rogers, Whipper Billy Watson, Gene Kaniski, The Funks, Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, me, I mean, that was a pretty good crew. Dusty, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, you wanted that, if you were lucky enough to have that, you, you knew that you had arrived in the business. Because regardless of what WWF at that time was doing, if you were the NBA champion, it was, you got off a plane in Japan, you got picked up in a limousine, you went downtown to talk to a room full of press like this. And then, uh, was there a lot of kids here? No. And they <laughs> took you out to dinner and over to get a shower. <laughs> background to make sure you were loose for the next day. Make, make some sandwiches. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was cool being the world champion, brother. <laughs> Thank you very much. What's that? I can't, I can't, nothing made him happier than a good eye rake. Oh, yeah, good. I love the guys being mad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
one down to just less, one less person you had to deal with. <laughs> in the airport. Especially, <laughs> bad guy that don't sign, hit it. <laughs> I still use it. <laughs> Go to the airport, there's 20 kids, right? You've been out all night, there's 20 kids while you're out of breath. Hit it. <laughs> but, you know, that's funny because that's how you want the movie. You don't want them to like you. Nowadays, the guys are out there at the fences, signing autographs, they want the people to move when they go in the arena. What the hell? <laughs> you can't have a vegetable approach. Either you want to sell t-shirts, or you want to draw money. Which you can do both now, because the business has changed. But go back 20 years. It is. You want to sell t-shirts, or you want to draw money. You want them to like you, or you want them to hate you. We, want, we love them to hate us. The reason the horseman got so popular it's because we were so damn good. They had no choice but to like it. And the women always like it, just FYI. In case your wife didn't come home one night. <laughs> James J. Thank you. What did you say? I didn't hear it. I did it. I did as a kid in the 70s, I used to go to a small venue, which was called the Eddie Graham Sports Center. On the oh, yeah. Of I was just wondering. Sports you know, Arena. You know, about that? It's a little metal building. I, I, I hated that building. Not the building, it was rock, but just so damn hot. Friday or Sunday night in Orlando in the summer. It was all. tin building, yep. 100 plus degrees, wrestling an hour. Tell me about it. <laughs> so, Hated that venue. <laughs> it was always sold out. I'm not talking about the crowd, but it was so hot for us. God, I've been 30 beers after that. <laughs> I, I can remember losing nine, ten pounds in one night, wrestling an hour and a half. You know, 150. Talk, talk about the football players getting cramps and shit, and the soccer players trying wrestling an hour, and you know, nonstop, where you don't. There's no resting for in a 103 degree building. Indoors, you know. So I got no time for the cramps. Sorry. <laughs> the answer is drink more beer. <laughs> Stay hydrated. <laughs> yes, my little princess. So say it one more time, sweetie, I can hear you. Can you do a woo for my friend Parker? For Emily Parker? <laughs> for who? For my friend Parker. For my friend Parker. Oh, of course, you have your phone on? Tell me when. <laughs> hey, Parker! It's a nature boy. I'm with your girlfriend right now.
The only line longer than the one for Space Mountain is the line people who stayed here to see you today. So thank oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's funny you said that. I actually said to my wife driving over here, I said, who the hell is going to come all the way over here at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? And so I walked in here. Because I, I had a bad attitude. I'm thinking there would be, be 10 people here, right? So, now I'm glad I came. So. And I thank you again. You know, I'm saying that on behalf of myself, our business. Thank you for all the respect, guys. You know, it uh, means a lot to us. And we don't say it enough to you. So. Go ahead, ask me a good question, man. I'm ready. <laughs> I just want to get your general thoughts about the erosion of KK, how many times you've been tuned into the business, and whether you thought it really mattered or not. Well, they proved to me it doesn't matter. So I sure thought it did, as did a lot of people, a lot of wrestlers. It still doesn't matter! And the word doesn't exist anymore. The only person you can try to gay fame now in life is your wife. <laughs> hey, 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 mine's back there and she speaks carny, so I can't get away with it. <laughs> I can tell you is you would meet me back in the resume for a half a <laughs> Yeah, there's no such thing as gay fame, guys, sorry. Uh, comment and question. Comment, you gotta tell your friends Conrad and uh, Atlanta's own Tony Schwein that they need to come to Grand Con at some point. We would love to have a what happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're, well, they're killing Chicago right now. I know. They're, yeah. they're drinking right now. <laughs> I think they're roasting Ruth Richard tonight. Is that the, the final thing? So, yeah, they're having fun. <laughs> I'm going to get a radio show just to tell stories about your mind. <laughs> Apparently it tells a few about me, right? You don't believe that, do you? <laughs> the best way to get them here is to go in the app after this panel, rate it five stars, and put in the comments, we want Tony Schiavone and Conrad here next year. That's the best way to make it happen. Dragon Con looks at that stuff. We want the nature boy back. Thank <laughs> you. 
Do you have any, do you have any specific memories of uh, matches with Muda or Fujiyami? Uh, no, I just, uh, you know, they, what I liked about them the most, they understood the American style. Um, when, I, when I first started going over there, and they'd been going, you know, probably 20 years prior to me, but I was still one of the, in the infancy when they, they just, they, they had no psychology, it would just beat the, beat the living crap out of each other, and I just, I couldn't adjust to that. It just, you know, it didn't make any sense to what we did over here. And, uh, you know, but they, they loved it. But, it's, you know, it's changed now because the American guys got tired of going over. You're fighting, you make money, but you're fighting for your life. I mean, uh, but now it's, you know, it's, it's much more Americanized or Westernized, Westernized rather. And, uh, but it's a phenomenal place to go for every sport, uh, they compete at the highest level. Uh, they're wonderful people to integrate with and have fun with the Japanese. But it, it was really competitive when I started going and I I didn't look forward to it. And I had to go with the champion like once a month. Um, when I had to wrestle Tendro and screw those guys, because I just wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't like Harley Race. You want another locker room story? I'm wrestling tender, uh, Jumbo Thruda, who was the AD to Olympian. Uh, and they get word over here that they want to switch the belt in Japan. Uh, all, Japan all Japan. Giant Baba's group. And so Bob Geigel, who was the president of the NBA, called me and said, uh, hey, you know, they, they're going to try and switch the belt we're afraid so we're sending a Harley race with you to make sure they don't. <laughs> How embarrassing is that? I had that with bodyguards, so. <laughs> um, and so anyway, long story short, Harley wrestled him the next night or something and he suplexed Harley, you know, unexpectedly. So we walked back in the locker room and this is a Japanese locker room, American guy's locker room. Harley walked in, <laughs> he said, come here, you light up tomorrow, world? <laughs> he said, come here. I just knew we were in trouble, so he walks down, he walked probably 25 yards in the stadium, the, the Budokan still there, not a stadium arena, and we walked in the locker room, and there's Baba smoking his big white hand cigar, and old Japanese locker room, and Jumbo Saruto was like 6'4", maybe 260, it's sitting down there, you know, wiping off with the towel, the young boys wiping them off, that's the way they do over there. Um, Harley woke up to me and said, did I tell you this too much thing? <laughs> After the bell rang, Sir knew he was in trouble, and he goes, no, 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 like, you know, like, you know, don't speak English, right? <laughs> and he goes, and he open hand slapped Jumbo Saruna. Hardly I've ever seen anybody get hit without getting knocked out. <laughs> he said, if you ever suplex me again without asking my permission, 
I'll kill you right out there in the ring. And I would not kill him, but hurt him. You know, which would end his career in Japan. Because everybody, you know, we thought Jumbo was it, but in Harley Race in the world, he was just a little guy that thought he was tough. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him, I've seen, I got all kinds of rock stories. <laughs> that wouldn't, that couldn't happen now. Who would, that wouldn't happen in the business. A guy would be exiled. He'd be on the independent circuit the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So, um, all the matches you've got, all the rockets, does anybody in particular stand out that you know what you the most? And was there anybody in particular that had a good chance to have a match with that you know what you're going Um, let me see. Who? I like working with everybody. Steamboat, obviously, my favorite. This is my three favorite were Steamboat. I can't say that because I'm leaving Harley out. Um, let me let me pick my top five: Steamboat, Sting, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, and Terry Funk. guy that I would love to wrestle right now if I was in my prime and I was a bad guy would be I'd love to wrestle Roman Reigns. Yeah, I can make you guys cheer Roman. Fight like a what? 
Just stay right where you are and just repeat it. Don't don't lean down to the mic. Just repeat it. What does it mean to fight like Ric Flair? What does it mean to fight like Ric Flair? That means be in the best condition you can possibly be in. You obviously have to put in extra time from your practice if your school allows that. Um, by that I mean you know, training at home or training on the side. If even with my daughter, I can use an example. When she got done with practice, I had her go personal train. And ask me how she liked that. <laughs> <laughs> or when she got bad grades and had to go to summer school. <laughs> Too bad, she had to go train for two hours, so um, and I think she's a great example of what, um, and this is why she is a role model in that respect. You, you, you only get out of it, like I, I'm going to use my stepdaughter back here who runs for Georgia. When she's home on the weekend, I'm changing from my, my daughter to my stepdaughter, she runs nine miles a day when she's home when she's away from track back. Okay, so I made my daughter come home, not home, she went to a personal trainer to a gym, but I think that everything you do that is extra are the things that make you better than your teammate, better than your opponent. It's not just the time you put in, it's required by the school, but it's the extra, and it's positive thinking and finding something to laugh about every day. Thank you. That's what my dad told me. You got it. You're too young.
Bobby Orton Jr. wasn't afraid of anybody either, so, you know. <laughs> Hello, young lady. Okay. What makes a star in WWE? Well, I Say it one more time. Why did you want to start wrestling in the WWE? Oh, um, well, um, the WWE, why did I want to go there? Because I really wanted to go to the next level. And WWE was the place, they were clearly bigger than WCW with, you know, with, with goals in mind of getting bigger. And now they, in my estimation, they ruled the sports entertainment world. I think that the NFL and the NBA and everybody else has taken so much of our stuff and applied it to their entertainment values that everybody can see that. And if you, and if you compare the two for magnitude and, and, and being spectacular entertainment, WrestleMania to me is every bit as entertaining and probably more extravagantly prepared than the uh, Super Bowl. Obviously the football, I'm not saying that we're bigger because football fans are, are obviously, that's the biggest event of the year, supposedly, but WrestleMania, we get a lot of viewers and they make a lot of money. So if the Super Bowl this year is projected to bring $180 million, that was my understanding, to Atlanta's economy, which is great. Last year in New Orleans, the WWE brought $70 million or 80, I can't remember, to New Orleans. So we're not that far behind. And that's a lot of money to dump into the economy in five days. Thank you. And I wanted to make some of that money. <laughs> So you watch him beat up Thunderbolt? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Dusty. Yes, sir. And that was pretty common in my home uh, growing up. And now, you were pretty common in my home. My, my husband and I are big fans, and my daughter is about watching the WWE Network. We love to go to a lot of the matches. So I just wanted to say thank you and everyone within the arena for this kind of wrestling kind of coming around for us. And we can all be together next time. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you can find it on the YouTube. Thank God for the network of YouTube. <laughs> Nate, you look great. Thank so you. So glad to have you back into the healthcare. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I just want to say on the um, Who Nation podcast you did, yeah. the episode with Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. One of the funniest things. Well, we drank for about two hours for that. <laughs> I'm much more entertaining when I'm having a drink. <laughs> well, I, just, I didn't know you had that history of Kevin's dude and how much he's done with the book.
A bunch of uh, yeah. Could you, um, Shorty. Elaborate, yeah, Shorty. Could you elaborate on any stories in it? Like, I Shorty. That <laughs> Not that I can tell. <laughs> There's some children here. This is family programming at the moment. Next year, if we can get the Nature from Boy back, CNN, we'll late night. From CNN to Houston to Rupert, Limelight, Yucatan, Gold Club Hotel. <laughs> I'm sure it was good, I don't remember it. <laughs> How about next year we do a late night panel? You just tell all the stories. I can't drink. I can't drink. The doctor won't clear me. I think my wife said, if you ever tell me we can drink again, I'll never talk to you. So. <laughs> yes, sir. She got me on lockdown. <laughs> Gatorade and Diet Coke, what a bunch of bullshit that is. <laughs> Good man. Great job, you man. You're the best kids, the best kids, the best ever will be. And uh, I have two questions. So the first question is, what's the most painful bump you've ever taken in the ring? And the second question is, what would you do in your mind the first time Terry Funk Todd Robert you to a table? Terry Funk what? Todd Robert you to a table. Yeah, that, you know what? It would have been nice if you told me about it. You're talking about Nashville. When I was wrestling Steamboat, yeah, that was, that's what started hardcore wrestling. We never get our due. Oh. Then everybody thought they could do that. You notice the table didn't break. Yeah. <laughs> so I was wondering what was going your mind when you were like, you're about to do this crazy thing. Like, oh, I just, he just, I respected Terry. He said, come here, trust me, come on. <laughs> So he is crazy, trust me. Yeah. And what was the first question? Which bump do I hate the most? Yeah, what was the most painful bump? Well, I don't know what. I, I hated uh, uh, power bombs from Nash. Yeah. Well, only because he was so tall. Yeah. But I, I don't remember. They're all the same. I, I don't remember more being painful. I just knew that I was up there. I didn't even get slammed off the top or superplex. I knew where I was going to land with the power bomb. You only land as flat as the guy is willing to bend over a guy that tall. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I can't, I can't complain. I'm, I've been lucky. The um, best uh, back bumper, bumper you did. Huh? The best back bumper ever, right? Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Question for the day. Hey, Nick. Uh, my dad told me a great story where he was partying with you in the early 90s in the club. <laughs> this guy comes up to you. Uh, what club? And, uh, what club? Uh, he's got a club in Georgia, Alpha's. Where? Alpha's the club in Georgia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> by, by, by the Sheridan Hotel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, hey, uh, well, I get it. If I know the name, I'll admit it. That's all there was to do on Wednesday night. Yeah. Put them yeah, in all the stories back home there, Nate. So, yeah. <laughs> but this one in particular is funny. This is this. Uh, my dad told me this big guy comes up to you, and you're there, and you're smashed. Obviously, 
knocked this guy unconscious and said, shots for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> my question, my question I'm, I'm probably lucky I didn't get my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> my question is, do you think of any other stories where somebody was trying to try it out in the real world? Where people will try it? Yeah, kind of texture. I know. Um, that, that, I don't remember anything past the 70s or mid 80s. That didn't happen. <laughs> no, I just not that I don't remember. I don't remember that situation. Yeah. Because usually um, there's like four or five of us together, and, and no, someone's got the other mind to do that. <laughs> that. That's a conversation they're not going to win. Yeah. So, we just follow them. Follow them into the bathroom when they're least expected. <laughs> and we remind them that was not nice to ask <laughs> or say. <laughs> Thank you, Nate. Appreciate it. You always, if you say something smart to somebody, make sure you walk to the bathroom with somebody with you. <laughs> what better advice to end the panel on? Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the Nature Boy, Rick My wife told me to tell you all, walking back over to, what do we call it? Marriott. No, we're in sign up, what do you call the, it? The Walk of Fame. Walk of Fame. I'll be there for two more hours. <laughs> you women out there, don't be afraid to come over to this event. <laughs> <laughs>I know I mention it all the time, but I'm never sure whether or not I should address the quality of live recordings because obviously uh, that now now I'm proud of my little recorder. I think it did a very good job for what it had to deal with there. Uh, some of the audience questions were di- very difficult to hear, as I'm sure you guys could tell. Uh, we we made our way through, but. It was still very interesting listening to Rick, and I think in a couple instances where you maybe couldn't hear the audience members, you could infer what the question had been from Rick's stories. Uh, But whatever the case, I'm very proud to have this incredible and and in places touching archive uh, of of his life story. I didn't expect it to get quite as uh, emotional as it did uh, when he was talking, uh, you know, about Reed. But I think it's important. And I will say that there's not a thing he said that I disagree with. Uh, But that's a conversation for another day. I hope you guys loved that. I hope it delivered what you were expecting. This was our most requested Dragon Con panel this year. When I put the poll up on uh, the Needless Things Podcast Facebook page. Which, by the way, you should join if you have not already, and you get to do stuff like vote on which episode we get. Sometimes you get to vote on what we're going to do for a needless commentary uh, and other neat stuff like that. Plus, all the pop culture news comes from all the needless things or regulars each and every uh, day-ish. Please visit needlessthingspodcast.com. It has been redesigned, streamlined, updated. I am looking into bringing some of the content from the old site over to the new site. Maybe. We'll see how it goes. But uh, that's all I got. 
That's all I got. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.